So if you lived in Old Testament times, do you know your worship of God would be very different than it is right now? I mean, if you, if you knew the God of heaven, if you worshiped the God who created heaven and earth, as the Old Testament says many times when it, you know, people are talking about, I worship the God who created heaven and earth, your worship would look very different. The way you hear from God would be very different than today. Because if you wanted to worship God, what did you have to do? You had to go to the temple, and you had to give an offering to whom? A priest, who then offered it on your behalf to God. You weren't free to do that yourself. And if you wanted to hear from God, you had to go find a prophet and say, inquire of the Lord for me and tell me what he says. Now, I want to ask you, how, how convenient was that? You know, we, we're all about convenience in our modern times and, and everything, but what if every time you really wanted to hear from God, you had to go find a prophet and say, hey, I, I need to know what God says on this. Or every time you sinned and you wanted to ask forgiveness, you had to stop what you were doing, you had to take an offering to a priest, and have him perform a sacrifice on your behalf. That would be pretty consuming, wouldn't it? Time consuming, resource consuming. And so when Jesus came into the world, he was doing more than just showing up and showing what he could do. He was actually fulfilling prophecy and creating, through his death, a new system whereby we can all go to God directly through him and where he fulfilled the function of the priest of God and so we didn't have to continually offer sacrifices now everything that God did in the Old Testament was in a sense setting the stage for what Jesus was going to do so that we would recognize it so that we'd see the importance of what he did and how he did it and what he instituted what came afterwards we can look back and go wow look at what you did God you readied us for it, we recognize the work, and now we're grateful for the work because of what it has accomplished. And so before, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the Word of God came and the Word was God, but we're also going to look at a couple of other kind of offices, if you will, functions that Jesus fulfilled for us when he came into the world, and that is he is the prophet and the priest of God. He is the final prophet, if you will. Now, that doesn't mean that prophecy can never happen again, but it will always be in accord with what Jesus Christ has said because his words are final. Nobody's adding new revelation to you know, what God has done. That is closed with the book of Revelation, which was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus operated as prophet and priest, and then uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at how he fulfills the office of king. Because Jesus came fulfilling a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And so when Moses was alive, you know, Moses was the prophet of God at that time, and people would go to him, and they would ask, what does God say about this? And Moses would go off, and he would talk to God, and he'd come back and tell the people, this is what God says. And in fact, he, God spoke directly to the people once. And do you remember what happened? 
They all got so afraid that they said, please don't ever talk to us again, God. Just talk to Moses, and he'll let us know what, he said, what you said. Because that scared us all to death, and we don't ever want to hear that again. And so the office of prophet in that sense was created. But there's something interesting. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said this. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And so while prophets would exist and it was there, Moses himself saw the plan that God had in place and he knew the promise of what was to come and he told the people that you've got to look forward to the one prophet that is coming. God is going to raise up one prophet that, that is going to be kind of like me. He's going to be this central figure. He's going to be important. You've got to listen to him. Listen to his words because he's the one that's going to matter. And we find as we go through the New Testament then and we see the birth of Jesus and the prophecies that he fulfills that he is that prophet. Jesus is the prophet that was prophesied by Moses. Now, in the Old Testament, God typically had his prophets do something unique that set them apart. He had them perform miracles. He had them, you know, give shocking revelations. He had them say things in a certain way that would basically offend people who were guilty and give hope to people who had their trust in God. But, but the prophets were really, in a, in a way, a strange group. They weren't your normal, everyday people who just lived their life and suddenly got a message from God and went out like, hey, I don't know what this means. God had them do some pretty strange things to get people's attention. And he would have them perform miracles that over time started to form a pattern so that when Jesus came on the scene, you recognized what he was doing by the actions of the previous prophets. But what, what happened is these prophets would come along and they would perform these miracles. When Jesus came, it's like he upped the ante way up somewhere that no one could ever imagine. So you recognized what was happening, but the level that it was happening at was suddenly off the chart, pointing to his importance. And so I want to compare with you really quickly the prophet Elisha and a few of his miracles shown with what Jesus did. In 2 Kings 4, 32-35, Elisha raises a child from the dead by praying for him, and he lays on top of him and touches his body, but he goes into the room by himself with the child and, and raises him. In Mark 5, 41, what happened? Jesus raises a child from the dead, but he walks in and simply says, little girl, I say, get up. He doesn't go through any you know, dramatic prayer. He doesn't, doesn't touch the girl. He, doesn't, he just, at his word, he raises her from the dead. And so we see the same kind of miracle happening, and yet the way it happens reveals something new is going on. In 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44, Elisha multiplies 20 loaves to feed 100 people. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But 20 loaves, 100, I mean, you, you know, how much extra do you need? They have extra left over. Then in John 6, 1 through 13, Jesus multiplies five loaves and two fish to feed over 5,000. And they have 12 basketfuls of leftover food. Uh, okay? Then in 2 Kings 6, 1 through 6, Elisha causes an axe head to float. 
on water. Then in John 6, 16 through 21, Jesus himself walks on water. You see, the actions of the prophet, they're, they're similar miracles, and yet when Jesus comes on the scene, it's something that the, the authors, that, that God is wanting us to see, like, look at what he's doing. It, it, it's, he's, he's upping it to a point that you cannot ignore what he is doing. Because with the prophets, their actions were what confirmed their message. So when the prophets came and they said, look, God says you better repent. And they said, well, why should we? And he goes, oh, because God sent me and here's the proof. And they perform a miracle. It was to get everybody's attention and think, oh, I think God is with him. I think he means it. He's raising people from the dead. He's walking on the water. He's feeding, you know, multiplying food out of thin air. I think God is with him. And so the, the miracles validated the message. And so that brings us, all of that, to today's scripture that I want us to look at in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the first part. He, again, he says, the author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at it as, you know, he is God, that he is He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance of his glory. But I want you to pay attention to the very first part of this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Nobody would argue that. But then the, the author takes a turn. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, he's saying with Jesus, there is a qualitative inherent difference that is greater. That in speaking to us through Jesus, we now have the final authoritative word that trumps everything the prophets has ever said. Now, it doesn't mean that he's contradicting the prophets. He's just saying that the message that he has brought is greater. The prophets set the stage. Jesus walked out on the stage and said, I'm here. And if you listened to the prophets, you were ready. You recognized Jesus for who he was because the prophets set the stage for it. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us that while God chose to use the prophets in various ways and various times, it is the moment God used the Son to speak that matters the most. When we read the words of Jesus, we are reading the most important words that have ever been given to humanity. That is it. There, there is nothing greater than, than what we're going to have. And so the words of Jesus, in comparison to the prophets, are clarifying, defining, and sometimes redefining. You ever notice when you read your New Testament that sometimes they, they seem to pull a verse out of nowhere and they're like, hey, here's what this means. And you're looking at it going, how did they get that? Well, you know how they got that is because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the, the writers of the New Testament understood that. Jesus understood that. And so they can grab whatever they need to and say, look, all of this points to Jesus. All of it does. 
And so I'm free to kind of grab whatever I need to out of the Old Testament to prove Jesus because it's all about him. And, and so they were clarifying, defining, and redefining, and they were final. No message will ever be given greater than what Jesus has given us. Even when we get to the end of Scripture and we have the prophecy from John in the book of Revelation about the end times, it still focuses on Jesus. He's not saying, oh, there's going to be somebody else coming, something new is going to happen. He's just saying, here's the completion of Jesus' ministry. Here's the completion of what Jesus is going to do. He started, he's at this point, here's what's going to happen, but it is still all about him. Now, why is that? Because the words of Jesus are not just a message from God. They are the message of God directly from God. And so they are qualitatively greater than all that came before him. There were the prophets of God. Now get this, Jesus is the prophet that is God. And so if you have the messenger of a ruler show up and tell you something... It's still authoritative, but if the ruler himself steps into the room and tells you something, what do we typically do? We, we get, a, you know, get a little more uh, ready. We, 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 we straighten up a bit more. I'll never forget, I was at lunch once with uh, a youth minister friend of mine in Texas, and there were some gentlemen, uh, I, I knew one of them, sitting at another table at the restaurant we were at. And they were talking, and you could tell they were relaxed, and, and they were... Uh, you know, just bantering back and forth, and we even said hi to him and had our pleasantries. And then it happened. A third person entered their party, and when he sat down, both of those guys came to attention, and their entire demeanor changed. You know why? Because that guy was the boss. And, and he was actually the big boss over an entire huge organization in Amarillo, Texas. And so it, it was clear, like as soon as that guy came in and he sat down, both of them straightened up and their demeanor changed. Now that should be all of our reaction when we read the words of Jesus. We may look at Elisha, we may look at Elijah, we may look at Isaiah, we may look at Jeremiah, and we see the message of God from messengers of God. But when we read the words of Jesus, we need to come to attention. Because the creator of the universe is speaking. And in fact, all of the prophets themselves, here, here's the great thing, all of the prophets themselves were... Uh, summed up in one person right before Jesus. Do we know who that was? John the Baptist. And in fact, Jesus says of John the Baptist, among men there are none greater than John the Baptist. He was, in a sense, the return of Elijah. He was the greatest prophet that would ever exist. And it's John the Baptist. Many times people forget that. John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets, according to the words of Jesus. So I'm going to go with him. And when John the Baptist was preaching, they ask him about what he's doing, what, you know, who are you? And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He's hearkening back to the, the message from Moses right there. There's one among you, just like Moses prophesied, you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
Now think about that. When Jesus looks at John the Baptist and says, among men, there isn't one who is greater than him. This is the greatest man who has ever lived. And John the Baptist looks back and says, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoe. What is he telling us right there? He says, look, this prophet is one that needs to be listened to. And we're not just talking among the prophets. We're talking the prophet. This is the message of God. And so, I say all this to show you that when you look at the words of Jesus in the gospel, and you read the message he authorized through his apostles, which is the rest of the New Testament, you are reading the most important words ever given. You are reading a trustworthy message that was given by God to all of us. Now, are those words there to answer any and every question that could ever be posed? No. Okay, the Bible was not given to unlock every mystery of the universe and solve every problem, every question we could ever have. It is written to point us to Jesus to answer the single greatest question that we have, and that is how do we reconnect to God because we have a sin problem that separated us from him. That is the message. And so, I want to ask you today, how do you react to the words of Jesus? In your own heart, in your own life, how do you react to them? Because when, when properly understood, the words of Jesus either bring us hope in life or they offend us. It's one or the other. And sometimes they have to offend us first before they can bring us life. Because Jesus will get in your business, amen? He will get straight in your business and he will let you know when you are wrong and he will not negotiate on it, and he will not compromise with it. He will still love you through it, but he will not bend because he has the message from God. He is God, and his, prophet, his message is not going to be compromised. And so he says, you want to come to God, you've got to come through me. You've got to listen to me. And, and people say, well, you know, we listen to Moses. And he goes, you know what? Moses prophesied about me. And if you understood Moses, you'd know who I am. Because everything God was doing was pushing us in that one direction. And so there is no in-between with Jesus. And we read throughout the Old Testament, people had a problem with the prophets in their day, right? There wasn't one single prophet of God in the Old Testament that was accepted and celebrated for his message. Think about it. We look back and we see these heroes of the faith. And we, we talk about them. But Elijah, what happened to Elijah? He won this incredible battle you know, 450 priests of Baal against one, fire from heaven. It's an amazing thing. And yet, by the time that's over, where is Elijah? He's alone in a desert saying, God, just kill me already. Because the people hated him so. Jeremiah has a ministry in which he continues to preach, repent, repent, you've got to repent. Please just repent. God is watching what you're doing and he doesn't like it. And what do they do? Yeah, they throw him down in a well. Say, shut up. And he says, I can't. I want, trust me, I want to. I want to be quiet. I don't want to do this anymore. But it's like a fire in my bones and I have to speak. And yet they hated him. You see, when we come to Jesus, there is no room for neutrality. Just like there wasn't with the prophets of God when they were speaking. 
And we either bend our knee to his message and listen to it and, and accept it for what it is, or we try to ignore it, but we can't, and then we get offended by it. And every single one of us, and I mean this, every single one of us, if we are truly listening to Jesus through our lives, if we're listening, we're reading his words, we're really thinking about him, all of us will have that moment where we get offended and say, Jesus, I don't, I don't know that I like that. In whatever form that comes in our lives, we're going to have that moment where we feel like our lives have been invaded, like, like Jesus is picking on us. You know, we may be like Peter in that one moment where he says, you know, who do the people say that I am? And, and they answer and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, you're blessed. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to be crucified and killed. And Peter says, no, you can't do that. And like literally 10 seconds after he told him he was blessed, Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. I'm sure Peter in that moment's like, hey, what happened to the blessed talk? I thought I was awesome. You're calling me Satan now. You see, all of us will end up in that place when we understand the message of God, when we understand that He is the prophet and every single word of His will be proved true in the end. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, like, God tell the truth and every man a liar because everything about us is broken and everything about God is right. And Jesus is the prophet who came to bring that message to us. And so we have to learn to look at his words as he is the prophet of God. Because what does a prophet do? At its core, a prophet forces us to confront the truth. That's it. A pro when you look in the Old Testament, what did the prophets do? They forced people to see the truth. Whether they wanted to see it or not, through their words, their actions, and yes, even in miracles, the prophets forced people to open their eyes to the truth. And if Jesus is the prophet, do you think his message would be any less shocking or more shocking? You see, what was the truth that he came to say? He said, the, the kingdom of God's here, you better repent. You better turn away. And, and then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to, father, to the Father except through me. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You see, he came with the message, not just of, hey, you need to fix this or this. Here are a few problems you need to work out as a people. He came with a message that said, hey, the whole thing's going away, and you better be right with me. And you know what? People understood that then. That's why they wanted to stone him to death. That's why they treated him just like they treated all the rest of the prophets throughout history. Because they understood his message and they didn't like it. And it will be the same today. When we listen to his message for what it is, it will be equally challenging. Now that doesn't mean it's impossible to listen to it. Okay, it doesn't. I mean, it, it, there are people who believed Jesus in his day. There were people who believed and listened to the prophets. But it will force us to make a choice between the world and him. Between ourselves and God. And that's what a prophet does. But you know, that's not the only role that Jesus fulfilled. He also fulfilled the role of the priest of God. 
because Jesus is the priest of God too. Now, what does a priest do? If a prophet brings the word of God to the people, the priest brings the people to God. The priest is the one who stands in between God and man and represents both of them at the same time. And so in the Old Testament, the priest was responsible for offering worship, sacrifices, and other offerings to God on behalf of the people. We literally were not able to go worship God without an intermediary. Now, the reason God did that was he wanted to ready us for the idea that we are not able to go to God on our own. We need help. We need a mediator. Now, the priest in the Old Testament did not completely fulfill that because they were incapable of it, because they, too, were sinful, sinful men. And so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves and for the people. And it was just this endless loop of sacrifices and nothing ever changed. So when Jesus came along, he became our great high priest who represents both us and God at the same time. And this may be one of the most amazing things God has ever done for humanity. Because again, who was Jesus? God the Son, he was God, Trinitarian theology, he's God. And yet, how was he born? He was born of a virgin, he is a man, he is fully man. There were two natures to Jesus Christ, the divine and the human. Who better to represent both as a priest than somebody who was fully God and fully man at the exact same time and will always be so? And it says he is seated at the right hand of the Father for us. Representing humanity and representing heaven at the same time. Simply in who he is. You see, in the Old Testament, the prophets came from the tribe of Levi. And so we had what we called the Levitical priesthood. They were the mediators between God and man. They're... they're, duties were very specific and we read in Hebrews 7 now 23 and 28 it says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he being Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he is all since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is in, was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this, and this is important, once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which was given by God, an oath God made, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now this is a big discussion in chapter 7 that some people get confused about, about a guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest who showed up in the Old Testament with Abraham long before the Levitical priest ever showed up. And he's kind of one of those characters nobody knows anything about. He just shows up. Abraham offers him stuff, he makes an offering to God, and then he disappears, and we never hear from him again. 
until later we find out that Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not of the Levites. And that Jesus is a priest forever, living forever to intercede for us. You see, God set up the priesthood so that we would understand our need for a mediator. And then he sent Jesus and made him a priest for all eternity. So when we sing Amazing Grace, you know, 10,000 years, I'll have no less days to sing God's praise. Well, those 10,000 years, Jesus will still be our high priest. He will always be the one who grants us access to God. He will always be the one who brings God to us. And when we get to heaven and see Jesus there, it is only because of him that we will have access to God. And nothing will ever change that. He is our high priest. And he is the perfect priest because he is able to represent perfectly both God and man. Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was born the Son of God and remains the Son of God. And so he is both fully man and fully God at the same time representing us. Now, have you ever wished you had somebody that could represent you in a situation that fully understood what you were going through? Have you ever had a hurt inside that you, you just wished you could explain to someone in a way that they would understand what it does to your heart, what it's done to your mind, the, the, the burden you're carrying? Do you know that that's exactly what Jesus does for you every day with God the Father? With Jesus being seated at the right hand of God, he brings every burden, he brings every pain, he brings every hurt, because Jesus has experienced everything that there is to experience, yet did it without sin. Now, I've had people question me before, and they'll say, well, if he never sinned, then he doesn't really know the struggle with sin. And you know, with that comment, I laugh. I really do. I laugh inside because I want just answer this question for me really fast. It'll solve that question. Which is harder to give in to sin or resist it? Jesus understands your struggle, trust me. Yet he did it without sin. He bore the brunt of Satan's strongest temptations and withstood them and stayed faithful to the Father. And so, all of this I want you to just know today that Jesus is the answer for everything that we face. He is the answer that God has provided for the, the most serious questions that we have. For the most serious problem. What is the number one problem that we all have in this world? It is sin. Whatever you're dealing with in your family, at work, whatever craziness is happening in our world, it's all temporary. It's all going away one day. But you know what's not going away are the effects of sin apart from Jesus Christ. Sin will condemn a person to hell. And it's our own sin. God's not being unfair. God is not being harsh. Our own sin separates us from God. And God knew that and did not want us to live in that eternity. 
He did not want us to have to live with the full consequences of our sin. So he sent his son who taught us as the prophet of God what it means to love God and to know God. And he sent his son as the priest of God to represent us, to represent us with God for all eternity. Now think of that, to represent us. The whole reason Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Okay, the whole reason he's seated at the right hand of God is to intercede for you. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we put our faith in him, then every time the accuser, Satan, wants to say, they're not worthy, Jesus says, yes, they are. My blood covered them. They're mine. And Satan says, well, I'll make them suffer in this world. And he goes, it's okay, because I suffered too. I'll get them through it. I know what it is to suffer. Well, I'll make their friends betray them. That's okay, my friends betrayed me. I'll get them through it. Well, I'll make their government corrupt. Guess what? We ain't got nothing on the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, you know what? I stared Pilate in the face and said, you have no power over me except what's given to you. Don't worry, I'll get them through it. You see, Jesus knows. In Hebrews 4.15, I just take hope from this scripture, grab onto it this Christmas season. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Take that to heart. Jesus knows your struggle. He understands it better than you do. You know how I know that? Because he beat it. You see, we continue to struggle because we don't understand the truth of it yet. We don't have full faith in Jesus at a point where we're able to let go of things and, and just trust him. We don't know the Father like he did. He understands all of it. And he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we struggle. And he intercedes for us with the Father. Not to condemn us, but to save us. So put your trust in him in every situation. His words can be trusted. He is the prophet that is God. And he lives to intercede for you because he is the priest that is both man and God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again. God, for your abundant grace, your inexhaustible grace and love that you give daily. Lord Jesus, we bend our knee to you because you are worthy. You gave your life for us. And so God, we give our lives to you. However broken they are, God, we give our lives to you. Father God, thank you for sending your son into this world to save us. To seek and save the lost, God, of which we all were lost. God, may our lives now reflect the truth of the grace that you have given us. God, that we wouldn't walk away 
or think that we need to take things under our own power even after we're saved, but God, that the faith that saved us is the faith that will carry us and the faith that will take us home. Father, help us to give our struggles to you knowing that you died for our sins, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God, that we would have hope this Christmas. Not hope in anything in this world, that we wouldn't put our hope in anything less than you, in your kingdom, that you would be our joy, our hope, our satisfaction in this life. Father, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.